Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday, December the 14th. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Hello, Annika Smethurst. Morning, Tom Tilly. How long since you last used cash? I don't remember the last time I used cash. I remember the last time I went looking for cash, which was to get a trolley literally yesterday. But there's no cash in the house. I use it for two things, trolleys and washing the dog. I think a lot of us are in that that situation where we hardly ever use cash. And in the briefing topic today, we're actually going to find out how close we've come to becoming cashless. It's changed a lot this year. Uh, We'll also find out why we'll never go all the way. The Reserve Bank is still printing cash. It's still being distributed. And I can't see that in my lifetime you're going to see at the end of cash. Yeah, there's some surprising reasons why we might never go cash-free. That's coming up in just a moment. First, let's get to the big news of the day. To the US, where the first shipments of the Pfizer vaccine have been packed up and sent out overnight. Yeah, this is a big development. Workers at the Michigan distribution factory stopped to applaud as the boxes were loaded onto trucks. Three million doses will arrive at distribution centres throughout the day with the first jabs for frontline healthcare workers to come as early as tomorrow. Yeah, the US hit a grim milestone of 16 million cases and close to 300,000 deaths. Here in Australia, we've only had 28,000 cases. Last week, America recorded more daily COVID deaths than 9-11 in a single day for the first time. That was 3,080 people who died from the virus compared to 2,900 177 when the Twin Towers fell. Yeah, and another big news out of the US, on Monday their time, so tomorrow our time, uh, it's expected the Electoral College will confirm Joe Biden's victory, closing a very um, strange chapter with lots of misinformation. Police are bracing for a potential gangland war after a former bikey boss was killed in front of hundreds of people in Perth. Yeah, 51-year-old WA Rebels president Nick Martin was shot in the back during a family-friendly racing event on Saturday night. A five-year-old boy was caught in the crossfire and a bullet grazed his leg. A nationwide manhunt for the killer is still continuing and WA Police Commissioner Chris Dawson admits they're prepared for possible revenge attacks. We are at a heightened state of readiness to ensure there are no retaliatory attacks, but that is the nature of the uh, gangs that we deal with. The alleged mastermind behind the Bali bombings that killed 88 Australians has been arrested after 17 years hiding. 57-year-old Ara Sumasano was taken into custody in a counter-terror raid on his house in Sumatra. Days earlier, the anti-terror squad also arrested the suspected bomb maker. Both are facing the death penalty if convicted. Yeah, two of Sumasono's alleged Bali bombing conspirators were already executed in 2008, but he'd evaded authorities and in the meantime had allegedly been involved in the 2003 attack on the hotel in Jakarta, which killed 12 people. Five years since the Paris Climate Agreement was signed, the world is still heading in the wrong direction. That was the warning from the head of the UN at the weekend's International Climate Summit. Paris promised to limit temperature rise to as close as 1.5 degrees as possible. But the commitments made in Paris were far from enough to get there, and even those commitments are not being met. That's the UN chief, Antonio Guterres, and he urged every country to declare a climate emergency until the world reaches net zero carbon emissions. That's something Scott Morrison is yet to commit to. He was blocked from speaking at the UK-hosted summit, reportedly because our country's climate policies aren't ambitious enough. 
Yeah, more than 80 world leaders announced their plans to cut greenhouse gas emissions, including Canada, China, the EU and Iraq. Annika, Scott Morrison had been expecting to speak at that summit, but then he wasn't invited to speak. Was that politically embarrassing for the PM? It was. Look, we do know he's pretty good at spin. He's a former ad man and he tried to say that it wasn't a big deal. But at the start of the week, he was saying he thought he'd get a speaking gig. Labor apparently even gave him time off to make calls and lobby other leaders so he could speak at this event. And then at the end of the week, that wasn't actually accepted. So it is pretty embarrassing. And apparently they were pretty angry about it. And do you think there are going to be some big changes in the government's climate policy, you know, potentially dropping the Kyoto carryover credits or even announcing more ambitious targets in the next, say, six to 12 months heading into the the Glasgow conference? Look, I think there is going to do it. And it was always such a vexed issue within the party, both the Labor Party and the Liberal Party for the last 10 to 15 years. And I do feel that we're at a point now where somebody's got to do something. And it seems like Scott Morrison might be at the right place in time and also the right position in his party to do this. When Malcolm Turnbull tried, it was seen as a really political move as part of his moderate tag, I guess. Scott Morrison's probably in a better position to do it now. And there does seem to be a bit of a change of tune, especially amongst the National Party, that they could actually make some of these more long-lasting and real commitments. Okay, so when you say do it, you mean basically do something more ambitious than they already have? I think so. It was always how they were going to get to halfway through the century, 2025. Now we're looking a little bit further than that, and I think they'll go more ambitious. Probably not what Labor took to the last election. That was pretty roundly rejected. But I think they will go to a more ambitious target than perhaps they were intending to go to at last election. All right, thanks, Annika. We'll catch you tomorrow. Uh, in just a moment, we're talking cash. When was the last time that you used cash to pay for something? I actually used it last night and it felt like a real novelty. I bought a raffle ticket at a fundraiser. Oh, wow. And the person going around selling the raffle tickets actually had, like, the machine to swipe the card. But I was like, $50 a ticket, I've got $50. Oh. Oh, I've got $50 in my wallet. That's that's fun. Okay, but that was an anomaly for you. You wouldn't normally use cash, right? Almost never. Yeah, I mean, I only use it with my eyebrow lady to get my eyebrow. And incidentally, my mo waxed. There you go. That's the only reason why? I use cash. Well, to one, get rid of the hair, and two, to pay the lady that gets rid of the hair. I get why you would get a wax. Not that I would ever <laughs> do it myself, but but why cash in that situation? She doesn't have the machine. I think when it's like a low cost, when you're not really paying that much, you're not getting a lot of services done, they how, just accept cash. How cheap is your wax? Let's Not the point. Okay. point is, though, that our use of cash, a.k.a. it being an anomaly, is on trend with the rest of the country as well. Yeah, so... Right now, we're going to brief you on how close we're coming to being almost cashless. Yes, but also the surprising and I think important reasons why we may never go 100% cash free. And as you'll find out, COVID, well, it's really sped up this cashless trend. Bank branches and ATMs will start disappearing across the country as the pandemic shifts Australians further towards a cashless economy. Yeah, the big four banks, Westpac, ANZ, NAB, Combank, They've closed 170 branches during the pandemic. Some of those might not reopen. Yeah, I reckon they might have wanted to do that anyway to save money. Well, they did it. And the Australian Payments Network says that more than 2,000 ATMs were removed 
right across the country. This is between April and June of this year. Also unclear whether they'll come back. My hunch is probably not. Yeah, there's a big trend on here. Let's find out more about it. Michelle Bullock is an assistant governor at the Reserve Bank of Australia. Michelle, in the last five to 10 years, how far have we come in moving towards a cashless economy? Well, we haven't moved to be a cashless economy, Tom. What's happened is that people have increasingly reduced their use of cash in transactions. So I'd say around 10 years ago, well, say about 2007 when we started looking at this, around about 75% of payments were made with cash. And if you look at last year, sort of pre-pandemic, I have to make that mm. point, mm-hmm. uh, it's about 25% of transactions are made by cash. So so that's a reasonably large movement in terms of uh, how people pay in that time. What about this year, though? How has the pandemic changed the way that we pay or use money? It's changed in a number of ways. I think I think the first thing that happened in the in the pandemic was that payments just dropped completely because no one could spend any money. Um, so there was a lot of uh, things that people couldn't do anymore. So we saw payments of all sorts drop off, electronic, cash, all sorts. But really what we've seen since then is that um, people have been withdrawing less cash than they were even pre-pandemic. And we've seen a shift to online as well where you can't use cash. So so there's been a, a, an increasing shift towards electronic payment instruments um, since the pandemic. Do you think that that shift is something that is likely to stick around? I think so. There was a steady move in that direction anyway. I think it has accelerated a little bit and I think some of the habits that people have picked up in the pandemic will remain. So for example, there's a a large chunk of the population that didn't have a debit card, which is the most common way of making payments when people go into shops. What the banks did in the pandemic was they sent out a lot of debit cards to people. So there might be a, a now a group of people who weren't using debit cards before and they will. Having said that, there is still, in all our surveys, there's still a, a strong cohort of people who like to use cash. And in fact, 10% mm-hmm. of people tend to use cash for everything. And they tend to be older and they tend to be uh, people with lower incomes who have a need for budgeting. So if we were 25% cash transactions before the pandemic, where are we at now? Well, we don't know precisely because we only survey actual cash use every few years. But I would say that um, if we were 25% before the pandemic, we might have gone down to around about 15 or so. Wow. But we don't, we don't know specifically. What do you reckon the advantages are of going cash-free or moving in this direction? There's advantages of having it when um, electronics aren't working. So I don't know if you've had the experience, I certainly have, of going to a a coffee shop and finding that the electronics are down. And -hmm. unless I had cash, I couldn't actually pay. Or your car doesn't Um, work, which I imagine would be pretty embarrassing as the assistant governor of the Reserve Bank. (laughs) Yes, it has. In fact, it's happened to my son, I have to say, and he was very embarrassed. So, you know, it's, um, it, there are certain advantages of cash. There's certain advantages of electronic. I'm in the camp where I hold a bit of cash all the time, although I mostly use electronics. And I think there's a large group of people that sit in that, in that camp. I remember going to Norway about 10 years ago, and they were way ahead of us on the cashless economy. Um, it sounds like we've come a long way since then, now down at around um, 15% cash compared to card. How do we compare to other Western countries? Sweden and Norway are right 
down in terms of very low use of cash. So they're both below 10%, and I think I saw some recent numbers, Norway, about 4% of transactions are in cash. So they're, they're sort of the lowest. Some countries are higher, so mainly continental Europe, you'd see over 50% of transactions are still in cash. And, mm. and we're in a middle group of around 25% or so, Canada, US, UK, um, so we're not at the bottom, but we're not at the top either, and we've come uh, come a long way. Michelle Bullock from the RBA, and we're going to come back to Michelle in a moment. Um, first, let's look at one of the reasons to keep cash. And to be honest, Jan, this isn't something I'd I'd really thought about, and it ties into an episode we did last month about financially abusive relationships. Yeah, the Australian Bureau of Statistics shows that 15% of women have experienced financial abuse, and for men, that figure is 7%. Um, Sarah is one of those women. She was in an abusive relationship where her partner basically controlled all of her finances, and she says that having cash gave her the freedom to live a more normal life. Everything in our relationship was on an Excel spreadsheet and um, every penny was accounted for. And even though I was told, you can spend money whenever you like, the reality was I couldn't. So cash in those situations made it easier for me to live like a proper adult and be able to spend whatever I wanted and also not have to engage in that abusive behaviour or that abusive cycle of having to explain to someone where my money was going. You know, there's a lot of people in similar situations. It's a lot more common than you would probably like to think. And I think if we went to a cashless society, there'd be a lot of people that would be quite afraid of that. So that's Sarah with a pretty harrowing story, but also a pretty good argument about why we still need cash. Yeah, let's go back to Michelle from the Reserve Bank here. Uh, Michelle, what would you say to someone like Sarah who relies on cash and who might be a little bit worried about this transition that we're making to a cash-free economy? I'd say that cash isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, What we're observing at the moment is a desire by many people in the community, often younger people, um, to use more electronic payments. But the Reserve Bank is still printing cash. It's still being distributed. And I can't see that in my lifetime you're going to see the end of cash. Yeah, I mean, do you think cash is important for people that might be, you know, dealing with a financial abuse situation? Absolutely. And and I think um, th- these are all reasons why I think this idea that cash, getting rid of cash uh, without other sorts of possibilities um, that serve a similar purpose um, is really not not um, not right. So there's, as I said, there's people in the community that still use cash very heavily and have a, have a need for cash. And I think that it'll be continued to provide it uh, for them. So do you kind of look into all these social factors when you're making decisions in this space at the Reserve Bank? We certainly are interested in the issue of access to cash and and ultimately these are decisions for the government in terms of policy. But in our role, thinking about the payment system and uh, access to cash, it's a very important part of what we think about. So I think we've said on a number of occasions that as we're looking at the ATM system, for example, one of the filters we're applying to it is whether or not there is adequate access to cash, particularly for people in remote communities and people who need it. That was Michelle Bullock, Assistant Governor at the RBA. And I wonder how much this change will affect sort of smaller aspects of our lives, like buskers, for example, or the church. You know, you know how you give a little donation when oh, you're Oh, no, at no, no, they're across that. Oh, uh, they've got a sword. Yeah, I went to um, one of those big Pentecostal churches, C3, 
once and they're rolling out like the little mobile ATMs on the edge of the road, passing it down. Oh, wow. They're, they've got that. Don't worry about the big churches, All right, okay? take them off the list. They're doing what about, okay. What about when your grandma sends you, like, my grandma oh. used to send all of her grandchildren $30. <laughs> That's such a weird 20 and amount. a 10. That's so cute. For, for decades. Well, what's going to happen to grandmas wanting to send birthday cash? They're going to have to get with the times. They're going to have to F-pos it. Tomorrow on The Briefing, how to negotiate cheaper rent. Yeah, you might actually be able to negotiate your rent downwards. Be a nice change. A Podcast One production.